You are listening to a podcast from Essendon Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, recorded 10 a.m. on June 25, 2023, presented by Reverend Chris Duke. Three verses from verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. May the Lord bless to us the reading of those words this morning. Would you pray with me? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, as we consider these words from the Apostle Paul, we pray that you would speak to each one of us, that you would encourage us from these words. Lord, you know the very depths of our souls. You know those things that are on our hearts. You know those things that concern us the trials, the tribulations, even the sufferings that some of us might be experiencing right at this moment or have experienced in the past. We pray, Lord, that you'll give a fresh meaning from these words today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Paul has given us a great encouragement as we read the verses 18 to 25 that our eternal hope is certain. There's a glory to come, which as a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, we will all participate in. And he gives that to us as a comfort in the face of suffering. And then in verses 26 to 27, he says, in addition to that future hope, we have the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who intercedes for us. And when we have no words, and we even might come to the end of our tether, where we have no capacity to express even our needs to God, the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And, and his prayers, the prayers of the Spirit interceding for us, are understood and they're heard by the Father because the one who searches, who searches your heart, knows the mind of the Spirit. So these are two encouragements that Paul gives to us to keep on going, to keep on going on, even in the midst of trials. And friends, there's a third encouragement in our passage today. When things don't seem to be going the way that you'd hoped for, how do you continue to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? How do you continue to trust in our triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit when you don't understand what you may even be going through? What do you do when the doctor says it's cancer? 
Or the policeman comes knocking on the door and tells you that there's been a motor car accident. What do you do when the rug has been pulled from under your feet? What Paul is addressing here, he's addressing these issues. He's addressing them to Christians in Romans 8.28. Now it's important that as Christians we know the truth of God's word. Whether you've been through trials or you're going through trials or maybe there could be still yet further trials ahead. Paul gives us comfort in these verses. As he spoke to those first believers in, in Rome in the first century who were going through it as well. And now he speaks to us. Now, right now, today, in this 21st century, he speaks to us as well. Firstly, Paul is talking about providence. Now, that's a word, providence. He says that everything, he says that everything, even evil, works for your well-being and for God's glory. And in verse 28, Paul says, and we know all things work together for good. He says this in the first part of verse 28. In other words, Paul is telling us that everything in this life is ordained by God for your good. Now, we need to understand what Paul isn't saying. Paul isn't saying that all things are good in the believer's life because we know that there are certainly many things that are not good. Some things that happen to us or to a loved one which is no fault of your own may not be good. Other things may be the result of our own doing. Paul isn't saying that all things are good to believers. Rather, he's saying that God uses all things, even evil, even pain, even suffering for the good of the believer. So Paul's not concluding that all things are good. Secondly, for those of you who are old enough, Alfred Hitchcock directed a film, The Man Who Knew Too Much. And it stars, it starred uh, Doris Day and, uh, and um, James Stewart with his croaky voice. And Doris Day sang a, a new song in that movie titled, Que Sera, Sera, Whatever Will Be, Will Be. The future's not ours to see. Now that sentiment, doesn't it sound fine? Well, friends, it isn't biblical. Because it's the sentiment that it originates back from the Greek philosophers who said that circumstances are controlled by one's fate. And this differs, this differs from providence, which says that God directs all things according to his will. And whatever will be, will be, implies that one shouldn't concern yourself about the future because it's ordered by fate and you don't have any say in it and everything in the end will be okay. Paul isn't saying that everything is going to work out fine, so don't worry. Now that reminds me of another catchy tune, another catchy song in recent times by a uh, 
a person who lived in the Caribbean, Bob Marley. Don't worry, be happy. Remember that tune? Which portrays a similar sentiment. Paul isn't asking us to resign to some hopeful false or hopeful, hopeful fate in the future. Nor is he saying that things will always turn out for the best. How often have you heard a person say, well, things will turn out for the best? Let's be clear, that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is talking about the special providence of God. In our New King James Version reading today, he says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. And when he says to you that, we know that all things work together for good, he's saying that all things work together for good for the saints because God presses them into his service. God uses every event in, our, in your life for the express good, the express good of his people. Paul isn't uh, talking about things working out by themselves, but God causing those things to work for the good of his people. Now, why is Paul talking about this subject? Why talk about things working together for good? Well, in verses 26 to 27, Paul said that thus the Holy Spirit helps you in your weaknesses and in your infirmity and intercedes for you when you can't even find the words yourself to pray to the Lord. And sometimes we might be tempted to say, well, it doesn't feel like the Holy Spirit is interceding for me. And it doesn't feel like the Holy Spirit is helping me in my infirmities, in my trials, in my sufferings. I feel weaker than ever. My circumstances are so dire, I actually feel abandoned, abandoned by God. Now, just remember that Paul has already said that your future hope is certain. And the Holy Spirit intercedes and that every event in your life is used by God to work for your ultimate good. And Paul is saying that even in your, in your messes, these are used by God for your ultimate good. And Paul even introduces his statement with certainty. How does he begin this verse? Just go up a couple of slides, guys. He introduces this verse um, with the three words, and we know, and we know, and what do we know? What do we know? This is what the Christian knows, that God's special providence is upon you working out all the events in your life for his glory and for your good. And Paul is asking all of us to let that soak into our thick skulls today. Just as he intended for those Romans back in the first century. Now there's a second reason he says this. He says, 
we know because this is an undeniable truth. Often we forget God's truth because of the pains of events, the pains of life. Because those pains can sometimes be in the moment, unbearable. All the disappointments maybe and maybe the hurts that you might experience in this life can sometimes cause you to become angry. And when you're angry, you forget. And the mere suggestion that God is using those things that might embarrass, that might disappoint, that might even hurt you for your good, well, that can grate upon you. Paul isn't saying that only the nice things work together for your good. He's saying that even evil, even calamity is turned by God to your best interests. Even death, illness, perhaps even marital strife, vocational problems, persecution because of your belief in Christ or a loved one being diagnosed with an incurable disease. God causes all things to work together for good. What Paul wants you to learn from this truth is to give you comfort that your suffering, in effect, is not meaningless. There's no wasted suffering in your experience. There's no experience that doesn't have purpose in the totality of your life. Every single isolated event, God in his wisdom uses that event to bring about his purpose for your glory. Your glory. Now, whilst this is an encouragement for believers, dear friends, this encouragement also only belongs to a select group of people. For whom is this encouragement intended? The only ones who can claim this comfort are believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. This prov providence isn't generic. It's not for everyone. There is a restriction. There is an exclusiveness around this. One might even say that it's discriminatory, which is a word that our culture today is trying to eliminate. Paul isn't talking about some universal principle that belongs to everyone. Paul isn't talking about a life coach who will promise that it takes hard times to make the, the good times. We've all heard the saying, of course, no pain, no gain. Paul isn't saying that suffering makes you a better person. Your suffering has far greater purpose than that. This is a, a specific activity of our sovereign God who on behalf of his children, whom he has drawn into a saving relationship with himself, and it's only for believers, it's only for those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot assure 
unbelievers with these words, that all things work for good. For the unbeliever, for the one who has not accepted God, in effect that person, if he hasn't accepted God, he has rejected God, at least up until that moment in his life. For the one who doesn't trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul isn't saying that suffering will result in the glory of God and in the glory of the person. This promise is only made to believers, to those who love God, as we conclude as we get into the second half of verse 28, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, don't be confused here. We're not talking about two distinct categories. On the one hand, God works all things for the good of those who love him, and on the other hand, he works all things for good to those who are called, as if these are two different groups of people. These are two descriptions of the same group of people. Paul is describing believers in two ways. For those who love God, and if you've been truly born of the Spirit, then the love for God will be obvious. It will be a love that's actually described in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. Love is the indispensable evidence of the grace of the Spirit in the life of the believer. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've trusted in him alone for your salvation, you will be possessed of a love for God. We love him because he first loved us. And then Paul says, and let let me remind you that those who love God are called according to his purpose. And the reason you love him is because he's called you. He's reached out to you. He's drawn you in. And, of course, you love him. And then the apostle tells us God's purpose in verses 29 to 30. Paul teaches us that in verses 29 to 30 that God has determined his purpose before the world's foundation to glorify you. Even before the world was created, God has determined his purpose for you. Why? To glorify you. In verse 29 we're told that God has foreloved you. Look at what it says. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And these are passages in the Bible and in the New Testament, such as in Peter, such as in Ephesians, where the word foreknew means for God to foresee or to have foreknowledge of future events. But that is not what foreknew or foreknow means here in Romans. What it means here is God said in his love on his children before the foundation of the world, before creation itself, it means for love. I want you to notice that this passage doesn't say, as some of our non-Calvinistic friends like to say from time to time that God foresaw 
into the future, that you would choose him and therefore he chose you. Friends, that makes no sense at all. But even if he did say that, that's not what Paul is saying because he doesn't say for what he foreknew, but rather he says for whom, for whom he foreknew. In other words, we're talking about a personal relationship here. Paul is talking about a personal relationship of love with those he has chosen when he uses the term foreknew or foreknow. He's not talking about God seeing something that you, that you do in the future or some choice that you make. He's talking about the Lord God Almighty of heaven and earth setting his love on you before you even ever existed. For whom he foreknew, those he predestined. See, this is the foreknowledge of relationship. It's because God loved you that he predestined you. That is, he chose you. He chose you. And he set out a purpose for your life. Just realise that God has set a purpose for your life. And he set that purpose before creation and time itself. And God's purpose here is invincible. It's invincible. It's indestructible. It can never be broken. So Paul is saying that if you're in the midst of trials, if, you, if you're in the midst of suffering, whatever it is, and you can't see how things are going to work out, and you're thinking and maybe you're at a very low point in your life and that you're done and you, maybe you think that you're dusted, maybe you're thinking, I don't know how I'm going to make it through. I can't see the wood for the trees. I just can't see how the pieces are ever going to fit together. Paul says, God set his love on you before the foundation of the world because he foreknew you and he predestined you. He chose you. You see, he has set his purposes on your life and those purposes are unshakable. They are invincible. There's no opponent in the world that can ever overthrow those purposes. And then Paul goes on to tell us what those purposes are. He says that he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that we're going to participate in the Trinity. It means that God makes you to be morally like his son because he sanctifies you. And as he sanctifies you, it means he sets you apart. He makes you holy. From then you begin to love the things that the Lord Jesus Christ loves. And from then you also hate the things that the Lord Jesus Christ hates. And through the work of the Spirit in you, you live like him and love like him and you care like him. 
One day the whole world will bow down and worship Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is saying that you think about what the Lord Jesus Christ is. You think of the image of the Lord Jesus Christ and God is going to grant that you will share in his likeness. You're going to share in his glory. And the Apostle Paul says, let me tell you something better than that, that you're going to share in the glory of the ascended, the resurrected, the reigning Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, our justification doesn't diminish the exaltation of Christ. It enhances it. Now, note this. In our future hope, we are also glorified and we share in the glory of our older brother. Have you ever thought of Jesus being your older brother? His glory will not be diminished. Rather, it will be enhanced because he is the reason that we're participating in his glory, in that glory. Our participation in that glory is going to be a display of the fact that Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. He is the first fruits of the ascension, which we too will share in him and with him. That's God's purpose for you. That's the purpose that he has set out for you. And no event in your life can interfere with that purpose. Certainly not your sufferings, certainly not any trial, but in a strange way, the suffering that you may experience is connected somehow to that glory which is going that you're going to participate in. And then in verse 30, Paul now says, everyone that has pre been predestined, God has done three more things. He has called you, he has justified you, and he's glorified you. So you're called, meaning that you're chosen. You're justified, meaning that you've been declared not guilty of your sin and you're glorified, meaning that you're resurrected to live forever in the presence of God. God is the one who has called you. He's irresistibly drawn you savingly to the second person of the Trinity, to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you would have done anything else in the world rather than bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, he has lovingly drawn you to him. When C.S. Lewis talked about his conversion, he said he came to Christ kicking and screaming. He was the most miserable convert in England, he said. He didn't want to be saved. He didn't want to bow the knee. But God didn't care because God still drew him lovingly to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
C.S. Lewis was called, he was effectively called, he was irresistibly drawn to the Saviour. Everyone that God predestined is drawn to the Saviour. And when they are drawn to the Saviour, they are justified. If you're drawn to the Saviour, you are justified. When you were drawn to the Saviour, you were justified. That is, you were declared righteous before a holy and righteous God, not on the basis of any work or any merit in your life, but on the basis of what the Lord Jesus Christ has achieved. Only on the basis of Jesus' righteous act, when he obediently went to the cross, where he bore the punishment of your sins in his death. And then notice what Paul says in verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Please note that what Paul is saying is in the past tense. The past tense. And whom he justified, these, these he also glorified. You have been glorified already. You are glorified if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says it, says it here as if it has already happened. It's so certain that you're going to share this glory with God, that he speaks of it in the past tense. Now, of course, this is good, is it not? Which Paul is speaking about in verse 28. This is the good which God works to bring about in every event of your life and every event of my life. Friends, you might not quite understand this. That's okay. You don't have to. All you have to do is believe God's word and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and to wonder, and to be amazed, and to be grateful for your salvation and for all the promises associated with your salvation. Believe God's word. Don't reject it. Because as, the, as Paul says in verse 28, and we know all things work together for good for those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. May God grant that everyone here today and online will believe God's word and grant us the grace to submit to the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we just are so thankful for these words of encouragement that the good, the good that you're talking about here is our, our calling, our justification and our glorification. Lord, we just pray that you will help each one of us to cling on to these wonderful promises, these wonderful assurances, even when trials might come, even when events, even when issues in our life might seem uh, so terrible. Lord, help us to believe your word, to hold on to your word, because we ask this in Jesus' name.
Amen. More messages of hope at EssendonPresbyterianChurch.org.au or wherever you get your podcasts from.